0: Welcome to the Wilds cast. I'm interviewing Dr. Jeffrey Gurian, an amazing, amazing Renaissance man. He's a doctor, a motivational speaker. He's also a comedy writer who wrote a book with Chris Rock. He's going to weigh in a little about this, the famous slap. Um, he's also a former cosmetic dentist and has written books about happiness and how we can achieve happiness, which is really what we focus on in this interview. Let's get into it. Okay, welcome to the podcast, the Wilds cast in particular. Uh, Dr. Jeffrey Gurian, it is an honor and a pleasure to host you. Thank you for coming on.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Rabbi. It's really my honor and my pleasure. When I heard you speak uh, recently uh, on happiness and joy, I said, this is a man I need to know better.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I really appreciate you coming on. Um, You are referred to, uh, I think, very justifiably as a Renaissance man. And I'm going to give a little bio for those who may be unfamiliar, but Jeffrey Gurian, Dr. Jeffrey Gurian, is a renaissance man because he's so involved in so many different things. He's a doctor, a lecturer, a motivational speaker, also a comedy writer, performer, director, author, producer, radio personality. Not always in that order. Um, uh, Jeffrey, is it okay if we call you Dr. Jeffrey? Is that okay? Jeffrey is is
1: fine. Yeah.
0: Jeff. Okay. okay, Jeffrey is fine. Is a former cosmetic dentist, former clinical professor at NYU in oral medicine. Uh, as well as a 20-year board member of the Association for Spirituality and Psychotherapy. We're going to get into that soon. Uh, his specialty was treating headaches and other physical symptoms of stress. And he developed a technique which was called STAR therapy, which is a very gentle system of talk and touch used to treat symptoms like migraine, types of headaches, a head, neck, shoulder, and facial pain, and... Um, this, it, I want to get into that with you in a minute, but let me just say one or two other things. Um, Dr. Jeffrey is also one of the few doctors with a longstanding career in comedy. Um, he's worked with about just about every big star in comedy. And he's also the author of eight books, the last three of which uh, are about happiness. The third, which I'm fascinated by, is called Facing Adversity, Stories of Courage and Inspiration, which you wrote during your recovery from hospitalization with COVID double pneumonia, which you just came out of recently. Tell us about that.
1: Well, it's actually my second anniversary of my recovery. Um, Mm -hmm. I was, you know, first of all, as you can tell, I'm a trendsetter. So I got the virus as soon as it came out. I didn't want to wait. (laughs) (laughs) I went right out and got it. And single pneumonia was not good enough for me. I had to get double pneumonia and you know, At the time, they were warning people not to go to the emergency room if you could help it, especially if you had cold morbidities. And I had had a heart attack about six years ago. By the way, I was back on stage in five days. I had a Widowmaker heart attack. And I I used the principles that are in my books. And because God was watching over me, I recovered. And I was back on stage in five days. And the owner of the club said to me, what are you crazy, you just had a heart attack. And I was like, yeah, but it's hard to get a spot here. I didn't want to lose my spot.
0: <laughs> you got to know your priorities. You know, heart attack is one thing, but, you know,
1: so, if it's so, a good show. So I was sick for two weeks before I called an ambulance for the COVID thing. And it was at the time when New York City was the epicenter of the virus. And they weren't just sending ambulances for anyone. But when they heard all of my symptoms, they said, we'll be right over. And two men came in hazmat suits. The ambulance attendants were fully dressed in hazmat suits. It was very scary. And it was my first act of kindness. And I wanna stress the, how important kindness is because one of the ambulance workers took my hand and he said to me, don't worry, you're gonna be okay. And, and And I can't tell you what that meant because I had been so sick for two weeks, I could barely move, you know? And he was amazed that I could get on the stretcher by myself. He said to me, most people needed to be carried. And he said, of all the people I've taken to the hospital, you have the best physical presentation. And when they took me to the hospital, they wheeled me into the emergency room. And this was uh, an example of how I had to use positive thinking and how to step outside myself. They wheeled me into a cubicle next to a woman who was screaming, literally screaming with every breath that she took. And the normal feeling is, you know, you feel sorry for yourself. Why, Why is this happening to me, right? And the spiritual answer that I've learned is why not me, whoever promised me that my life is supposed to be perfect and that nothing was supposed to happen to me. So I'm laying there in a very weak state. This woman is screaming and I want to be moved and there's no place else to put me. And I had to, in my mind, I had to step outside myself and start thinking about this woman and how scared she must be or how much pain she must be in, in order to be reacting that way. And it allowed me to calm down. And then they x-rayed wow. my lungs. <clears throat> and they said to me that they were sorry to tell me I had COVID double pneumonia because they were actually thinking of sending me home. They were running out of rooms to put people. Right. And so <clears throat> that recovery was, ama- pardon me, <clears throat> that recovery took me several months. When they, when they found an ambulance to take me home, after four days, they stabilized me enough to take me home. And when the ambulance guys wheeled me into my apartment and they saw all the pictures of the comedians, they stayed there for about 20 (laughs) minutes, asking me questions until I had to say, guys, I'm sorry, I'm a little tired. (laughs) I'm still recovering, you know. And and, uh, it took it took a good few months for me to get back to myself. And during that time, I realized that people were living in fear and they needed hope and inspiration. And that's when I wrote this book, Facing Adversity, Stories of Courage mm-hmm. and Inspiration, because they're stories that I collected over a period of 20 years. In 1999, I started cutting out articles of people that impressed me, because everyone in life is given obstacles to overcome. And I know that you mentioned it. We'll talk about it. I was a very severe stutterer through my 20s and beyond, even into my 30s. I stuttered so badly that I couldn't even say my name. I could never say Gurian and most stutterers have a hard time saying their own name because mm-hmm. your name is your identity. And if you're not happy mm-hmm. with who you are, it's very difficult to, to present yourself to people.
0: Wait, before I actually, I want to, I want to come back to the stuttering. Yeah. Cause that is fascinating. Cause I know that you developed a technique to help people. Yes. Besides your own self that you, that you cured. Um, you said something before you said it very quickly, but it was quite profound. You said that when you got to the hospital and this woman was screaming, you said to yourself, besides trying to help her, you said something to the effect of, like, you know, why is this bad thing happening? Well, why shouldn't something bad happen? Mm-hmm. Maybe we could speak to that a little, because I think when, when something goes wrong in our lives, the first question we ask is, why me? Why me? It's not fair. Exactly. And, but you, you asked sort of the opposite question. You're like, why not me? Like, can you elaborate on that a little?
1: Yeah. And I find that fascinating. It's something that I had to learn through my own spiritual study that, you know, we all tend to be egotistical in the sense, not in an obnoxious way, but who else's life can you think about but your own? We're always thinking about ourselves. And part of what I did with star therapy is because a lot of our thoughts are negative against ourselves. We're holding thoughts that are not valid for us. And... In my own case, that's what caused me to stutter. I was holding negative thoughts about myself. If you've ever been bullied in your life as a child or anyone ever hurt your feelings or broke a promise to you, I call those things heart wounds. And they manifest, we internalize them and they stay in your heart chakra and they affect your self-esteem and your self-confidence. And it's what led to my first happiness book which I think you saw healing your heart by changing your meditating dog on the cover. And what I talk about in that is that we're so engrossed in our own thoughts. We're always thinking about ourselves. And part of spirituality is learning to think about other people, trying to step outside of yourself, trying to, you know, in the entertainment business, it's very hard to create that balance because the entertainment business is all about ego and the spiritual world is all about detaching from ego, becoming a worker among workers, that everyone Mm -hmm. is the same. So when, when something, most people suffering with emotional illness are sorry for something that they did in the past. They're laboring under, I should have said this, I could have said that. And they're worrying about the future and they're losing the now they're not in the present because they're Mm -hmm. so caught up in what they could have done and they should have done to make things differently. And That's because people don't know that they have a path. And everything that happens to you is God's will. And I don't have to tell you this because this is what you teach. But once in a while, your will will coincide with God's will. And it'll Mm -hmm. feel like you got what you wanted. But it's only because that's what God's will was for you. So when I had the heart attack and I was laying there, I had to tell myself that for whatever reason, this is my path. I can't say, why me? Because it's arrogant to say, why should this only happen to me? I was very close to my parents. And when I was losing my dad, there's, you know, it's normal to pray for people to get better. Mm -hmm. And some genius said to me, well, you can't only pray for them to get better. You have to add the tag. Let that be your will for him. Otherwise, it's arrogant to tell God what to do. Why should they save only your family when other people are having illness all over the world? So... These are things that I had to learn.
0: Yeah, it, it's a deeply, it's a deeply theological teaching in Judaism, you know, what you're sharing because, because we are so self-focused and self-centered, self-centered. And, and again, like, like not in an obnoxious way, right. like you said, it's, it's just part of our makeup yeah. to be focused and concerned about ourselves. And, um, uh, but you know, th- that, that's why we appreciate gifts in life because we, we don't, we weren't really owed anything. You know, it, it, it's not like we came into the world, and therefore God should be giving me A, B, and C. Everything is a gift. It's all a gift. We didn't have to be created. I know it's a crazy idea. That and and the, the there's a very famous line from King David's book of Psalms, Olam Chesed Yibaneh, that the world was built on kindness, mm-hmm. meaning that God wasn't somehow required to will us into creation, into existence, and then give us A, B, and C, so that when we don't get it, we get angry with God. All of this is a gift. None of this had to be, including us. So now that's a very difficult, <laughs> it's not an yeah. easy thing for the average person to just, you know, get their arms around. I'm yeah. not saying I always walk around with that feeling in my heart. But intellectually, it's an important thing, I think, to enunciate, to uh, to articulate, as you did so beautifully, that, like, it's all gift.
1: Yeah, it takes work. And that's why gratitude is so important. There are two principles that I find that are very important, gratitude and service. Uh, mm-hmm you know, I make gratitude lists because as a human being, there are times when I could feel sorry for myself, you know, and self pity is a very common thing that affects a lot of people and it can really take you down. And when I was laying in the hospital, I was very aware that when you're in a negative state, your immune system is not functioning as well. Yeah. When you're in a positive state, your immune system rises up and it makes it easier to fight off things. And it was very hard because on my third day, they put me in a room with three other very sick men, all with the virus. And there was one orthodox man, 41 years old, whose oxygen dropped within seconds from 90 to 83, and they had to rush him to the emergency room. And so it was a very, very scary time. Nobody knew what was happening. I actually made a video of myself on my third day in there because I didn't know what was going to happen to me. And I felt I needed to document what was going on. Wow I made I, I watched wow. it the other day and it was really hard for me to watch. I could hardly speak. My voice was so hoarse and I could hardly speak, but I felt that I needed to do that because it was a very strange experience. But again, this self-centeredness, who else's life can you think about but your own? You'd have to be almost crazy to never think about yourself and only think about other people. It's a, a very hard thing. so it takes work like you said it's a, it's a process. it doesn't come overnight. But it's important to open your mind to certain concepts, like. And what would you
0: say is the most important? Like we're talking about gratitude. I know that that's a major positive factor in happiness. In my book, I speak a lot about giving. That we um, giving is necessary in order to feel happy. What would you say are some of the biggest impediments? Let's say the top one or two biggest impediments to a happy state of mind. And what do you do? What do you suggest to people to overcome them?
1: Okay. Well. Um, I think one of the the biggest things is how you react when things don't work out the way you would like them to. So Mm -hmm. we all have goals that we think that we're supposed to achieve. And you're supposed to take the action to try to make them happen. And then you have to turn over the results. But too many people try to micromanage things, thinking that if they just did this or just did that, that they could make this thing happen that they want. And the idea is that if you don't get what you wanted, you're not you're not being punished you're not supposed to think well i'm the ultimate victim of the universe and nothing works out for me other people get this but when it comes to me i don't get it the thought mm-hmm. the thought that you're supposed to have is well i didn't get that thing because it wasn't god's will for me i'm supposed to have something better than that and if i got the thing i wanted i wouldn't be available for the really good thing that's for wow. me
0: wow so but how, yeah, let me yeah. let me stop you there that's that's brilliant but how do we how do we convince ourselves, you know, we are so convinced that, let's say, I have her in my mind right now. I have, let's say, one or two personal goals. I have some professional MGE goals, you know, um, and I'm so convinced that those are the things that I need exactly. or that will make me happy or that it will make that will make the organization thrive, my community. And then you're saying, and let's say they don't have. Well, you'll probably so get you're... those
1: things, but it, it may not be on your timeline. It may mm-hmm. not be when you want them, because as human beings, we lack patience. That's one of the things. We want everything right away. Mm-hmm. And the spiritual aspect is that you may get those things, but not when you expect them. They come from...
0: And, and let's say and, and let's say you don't get them at all. Let's say we can fast forward 10, 20 years down the line, and it never happens. And you know, you're never getting that job. You're never getting into that school. Right. Um, that I can't, woman, you know... That,
1: that, that, that relationship, not everyone has that gift. And it's because that's your path, you know, and you have to tell yourself that or else or else it can drive you crazy. If you think that you can micro manipulate your life, that you're in control of everything, then you tend to blame yourself when things don't go the way you'd like them to. And the idea is that uh, most things are out of our control. They're completely out of our control. Again, you're supposed to take the action like you have these goals that you want to accomplish. And I'm sure you're trying very hard to make them come true. But sometimes we run up against obstacles that are very frustrating. And what it means is maybe you're supposed to take a different direction. When, when, what, excuse me, when you find your true path, mm-hmm. the universe will support you in that. You'll mm-hmm. find that usually when you find your true path, that things will start to fall into place. I had a very unusual story that happened recently. You know, you, uh, you, you had mentioned star therapy. The R in star therapy mm-hmm. stands for resonance. And the resonance mm-hmm. refers to my voice because I speak when I do this thing. It's like a guided meditation. And it refers to music because I use music when I do it. Mostly it refers to a truth. People who, people who are emotionally ill are lacking certain thoughts. Their thoughts are not working for them. And you can't get better with the same mind that got you sick. That's a very mm-hmm. important thing. If you're, if you're not happy, if you're not, if you're stuck in a, in a dark place, you need new thoughts. And very often those new thoughts are spiritual wisdom. So oh, for over 20 years, I've been using music by a man named Stephen Halpern. He's considered mm-hmm. the father of new age music. Mm-hmm. At the end of October, I get a message on my machine. It says, hi, I'm calling you in reference to a letter that you sent me 20 years ago. 20 years ago. And he said, he said, and, and, and I,
0: he, <laughs> I thought I was bad. I thought I was bad getting back to people. He
1: never saw the letter, right? Not, <laughs> okay. He never saw the letter until now. His assistant had filed it away and he's working on his memoirs. And it turns out that this man is Stephen Halpern, a Grammy-nominated musician known worldwide mm-hmm. for creating healing spiritual music. And I guess I had written to him 20 years ago to tell him that I use his music in my work. Well, he called me 20 years later to tell me that he was so moved by my letter that he wanted to put music to my words. And now I have a project with Stephen Halpern. It just came out and he took a guided meditation that I use to help people with stress related illness, put his music to it and visuals, slides of me using energy oh, wow. on people.
0: You have to, doctor, you have to share that with me. This is very personal because my son, my oldest son, Yosef, is doing a lot of musical meditation in Israel now. He writes his own stuff, but he would, I mean, I know he would absolutely love to hear this this and see to whatever degree he could work some of this in because it's taking off a little. He gets invited to different people's homes, mostly for people in their 20s and 30s. Um, and it's a meditation, but it's a, it's a guided meditation with music Isn't that amazing? and he's actually doing one. He's doing one at MGE next Monday night. If you want to come at 7 PM, okay. uh, you're welcome to join if you want. No, you know, thank you. No, no pressure. You
1: see, but isn't that amazing? I happen to tell that story and it's meaningful to you and that's what happens. Like it was a crazy story that came out of nowhere. I never in a million years thought that I would have a project with a man that I revered so much. Sound healing is very important. Music mm-hmm. is very important in healing. You internalize it in the second chakra, which is the chakra of sensitivity and creativity. And it affects how you feel. So the work that your son is doing is very important. And it's so amazing. When when we're finished, I'll send you this guided meditation. because I Thank, you. See it, Thank you. You could send it to him. But uh, that's how these things work. You know, the universe puts things in your path. I have a million stories. I just happened to pull that one and it means something to you. So,
0: well, let me ask you a question. When you when you say the universe, I mean, are you referring to God or yes. do and I you, say it that way? Are. because there are people
1: who are listening sometimes who question?
0: And, of course, and, I'm always I'm always tempted to replace God with the universe. But I feel like I'm giving in. But on the other hand, but, on the other hand, if more people listen and you just, you know,
1: that's why I do, <laughs> because you can call it nature or the universe or God. I'm comfortable calling it God. I do a lot Mm -hmm. of work with 12 step people and nice people to be addicted to alcohol and drugs and other substances. And those programs are very, very spiritual. Yeah, I know. I know when people first come in, they're in their bottom. They're, they're, they're lacking hope. And if you start talking to them about God, you could turn them off right away because a lot of them feel that God has been against them and all. And so you have to present it in a different way. And what spirituality believes, and and again, I always make the distinction between religion and spirituality because religion can be wonderful for people. I'm very proud to be Jewish, but spirituality brings us all together because all it asks is that there's a force greater than yourself. And you could call it nature, the universe, or God, whatever is comfortable for you, as long as you know that it isn't you because when you think that it's you that's when you blame yourself when things don't go.
0: and 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 what would you say to people who either struggle with letting go okay this is autobiographical okay yeah. um, you know very motivated detail perfection oriented people not going to okay i'm the same.
1: Uh, I, I get it i
0: that, get it that's a or or now i'm i'm a believer though i do believe deeply in god and i believe that god is involved in our lives in fact the holiday of passover is approaching and that's one of the great teachings of the holiday of passover because the exodus from egypt was the first time that god demonstrated in the bible in the torah that he's not only a god of creation he didn't just create the world but he continues to intervene in the world he continues to have something to do with our lives he knows our names he's aware of us he cares about us. That's a fundamental Jewish teaching, and that's one of the reasons we eat the matzah and we stay away from chametz and we have all these rituals because the Exodus was a demonstration that God is involved. So I'm a believer, but but um, you know it, it's just hard to let go.
1: Well, I'll tell you, I, I ask one question to people when they when they're in doubt, when they can't grasp the concept of a higher power. So I say to them, well, look, how does it diminish you in any way to open your mind to the concept that it could be possible? It's arrogant to say that you know that there's no such thing as God because who are you to know such a thing? So Mm -hmm. if you want to get better, and now I'm talking about 12-step stuff, but if you want to get better, you have to do what people have done in the past. And the spiritual programs insist that you believe in something greater than yourself. You could call mm-hmm. it a doorknob if you want. You could call it the people in the room that you go to. But you have to know that it isn't you. And so it's presented that way to say you could call it nature or the universe. So very often I talk about the universe to bring more people in. Because people, some people feel more comfortable referring to God that way. Mm-hmm. And again, it's, a, it's an expression of a higher power
0: yeah yeah I listen I, I, however however you can get to people, you've helped celebrities and some other noteworthy people achieve happiness what what were their challenges? How were they different than I guess non celebrities? I don't know if you're at um, you're able to share with us any stories of anyone in particular that you're allowed to share publicly, but it could be helpful to us, I think
1: well, let me say this that um I helped celebrities in comedy. <laughs> Because I wrote material for some of the biggest stars, and some of your listeners might know Milton Berle, Mr. Television was my sponsor in the Friars Club, and i got wow. I got to write for Milton Burl and Jerry Lewis and Henny young oh and, and 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 Sid Caesar for his roast you know i was the I was the main writer for the Friars Roast for twelve years so I so just
0: anyone listening to this in their twenties or thirties because m g e is twenties and thirties. Uh, these are Henny Youngman and Milton Berle. These are like the great legend. Uh, when I was, when I was a kid, they were older, already, older already. So but
1: the golden age, but, but your listeners <laughs> would know Nick Kroll and John Mulaney because I'm the first sure? guy, Nick Kroll and John Mulaney are two of the biggest comedy stars right now. And they had me open their Broadway show for them called Oh Hello. And your listeners mm-hmm. would know the sketch Too Much Tuna, which was on, on Comedy Central, <laughs> I'm the first guy to be pranked with too much tuna. And, uh, <laughs> your, 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 uh, assistant, your producer knew me from Sirius XM yeah, because I yeah. was a guest on it. The biggest comedy show at the time was Ron and Fez. And I used to bring on special guests that were friends of mine every week, like Trevor Noah and DL Hughley and Russell Peters wow. and Artie Lang. And just like every big comedy star that was in town. They're usually friends of mine, and I would invite them to come on the show. So I use humor in my work as well, because humor is very healing. People need to laugh. And that's what led to me doing these happiness books, because I always put a humorous spin on things. Um, You can't take life too seriously. That's easy to say when things are not going well. You know, these principles that we talk about, Rabbi, they're very interesting They're very easy to use when it feels like your life is going perfectly. Anybody can do that. It's when it feels like nothing is going right in your life that these principles are very important because they give people inspiration and hope. None of us are mind readers and you don't know what's gonna happen tomorrow. Every single person in your life that you know, besides your family, there was a day before you met them and you had no idea that you were gonna meet them the next day. So in my personal life, I've I met people I had no I, I couldn't possibly guess all the people that I know I did a book with Chris Rock on the, the history of the comic strip and the owner of the comic strip came to my house.
0: Wait, when did you do a when did you do a book with Chris Rock uh, how I long ago was about that?
1: I think it was 2008 2009 Wow and um, it was called make' Him laugh and
0: mm-hmm. the comic
1: strip is a legendary comedy club that's still open.
0: Sure, yeah, yeah, I know the comics. On
1: 81st and 2nd, and it's where Eddie Murphy started and Jerry Seinfeld, and uh, Chris mm-hmm. Rock was discovered there in 1985 by Eddie Murphy and the owner of mm-hmm. the club, Richie Tinkin, who just left us about one year ago. And so mm-hmm. uh, I've gotten to work with some of the people that I admired my whole life. I never even thought that I would know them. And, and, and who, who,
0: who would you say, is there a category of people that you can say are the happiest people you know Uh, is there more happiness among celebrities less happiness among celebrities so what would you say it's so
1: interesting that you said that show business is a very difficult business because it's all about ego you know if you go into a store to buy a shirt the guy just gives you the shirt he doesn't give you a shirt and a picture of himself Here's, (laughs) here's your shirt but in the entertainment business you're always telling people who you are and what you do so it's exactly the opposite of a spiritual world. And those people get caught up. And I think that's one of the reasons that Will Smith slapped Chris Rock. You know, uh, ego gets blown out of proportion. Ego mm-hmm. is a very dangerous thing. I've been with some of the biggest stars in show business. And when you see how people treat them, they're like our royalty. We don't have kings and queens. We have celebrities.
0: And and so you think, just going back to... to um... To Will Smith, you think when he heard that comment, he felt so slighted or maybe on behalf of his wife because people are trying to give him the benefit of the doubt. I think what he did, by the way, was terrible, was wrong. But but people are saying, well, you know, his wife has this condition, very sensitive. But you're saying, really, it has a lot more to do with ego.
1: I think so, too. First of all, it's very hard for a man to know that his wife has been with other men openly. I think that's a hard thing Mm -hmm. to take. He was laughing at the joke when it first, when Chris first said it. And by the way, from my knowledge, alopecia means baldness. She was not bald; she had her hair very short. She it looked like she had a full head, like a crew cut. So it could have easily mm-hmm. been a style. And if she was that concerned about it, I guess she could have worn a wig, like a lot of women do. But she chose to show up that way. Not everybody knows her history that it was alopecia. I'm sure Chris mm-hmm. did do it purposely. You know. When I used to write the Friar's Roast, I used to go over to the person being honored. Because I don't know if you know, the Friar's roasts were really raunchy and very nasty.
0: Yeah, I, I've, I've seen some of them on, on YouTube. Yeah, yeah. I
1: was the head writer for a long time. And I would go up to the person being honored. And I'd say, is there anything that you're sensitive about that you don't want jokes made about? Because you oh, wow. never want to hurt somebody's feelings with jokes. And very often they'd say, no, nah, just go for it, whatever you want. And so, once right. somebody would say, don't mention this. Right. I would always right. honor that because I don't like mean-spirited comedy. These days, comedy has gotten off on another track.
0: And did you think, do you think Chris Rock, your your friend who you co-authored this book with, do you think he crossed the line or you didn't really no, think I didn't so? I think he
1: meant anything by it. He just made a G.I. Jane mention, that's all.
0: Right, right. And,
1: and Will laughed. And then the next thing you know, he saw his wife roll her eyes and he went up and did that thing and slapped wrist. Right. And at first people thought, that it wasn't real because it looked like a stage slap. Right. But then when you saw him yelling from his seat, you could see that he was really angry. And again, actors are used to being very angry. They're used to crying on cue. You know, (laughs) you never know who to believe. They've been acting all (laughs) their lives.
0: Well, that's why I, I, I wrote a blog. I can send it to you um, about, about what happened there. Um, And I got so many, Uh, comments by people who really think who thought and maybe still do that the whole thing was staged. I don't think it was staged. I mean, I'm not an expert, but it doesn't look like it was staged. It looked like it was real. And at this point, but I find it, I find it interesting that you think it was coming from an ego place. Like who are you,
1: you know, to to make a joke about my wife, so to speak. Um, Exactly. And, and, you know, even more than that, when you have such a big ego, you don't like to be the brunt of a joke, like to be made fun of in front of that kind of crowd. Now most of them are kind of used to it. You know, when Ricky Gervais mm. was the host, man, he ripped everybody <laughs> apart. He ripped everybody apart, apart and he did and right. he just, you know, and people loved it because ego needs to be shattered sometimes, you know? It drives
0: Well, my fa- my, my my favorite comedian of all time was Don Rickles and uh <laughs> There was no, there was, there was no better. You know, they used to call him Mr. Warmth. There was
1: nobody a hockey puck, but that was the word, you know, you're a hockey puck. I I mean, and in the time when Don Rickles was popular, maybe in the fifties, sixties, you had to work very clean to be on television. There was no TV. So in those days when people came up, like when I first started writing for comedians, I had to write very clean stuff because that's all they wanted because you couldn't do TV if you didn't work clean. Mm-hmm. Now there's no limits on uh, as to what people can say. And they have these roast battles where they But Do you think
0: that's good? Do you think that's good, Jeffrey?
1: Do I think what's good?
0: Do you think, think it's, it's good, good that you want that people can curse? what the people can, there are no limits at all. Like there's just no cursing.
1: I don't like mean spirited humor. These days they make Mm -hmm. jokes. If someone in your family has cancer, they'll make a joke about it. To me, that's not Mm -hmm. funny. There are certain things. I don't joke about illness. I don't like, I know a girl whose sister died in a terrible accident and they made jokes about it. And, and it, it was one of these roast battles. And I said to her, how does that make you feel when they do that? And she said, "Well, I had to get tougher about it, you know. I'm used to it right. because they keep doing."
0: Yeah, well well, you know, you you know that according to Jewish tradition, this is <clears throat> a very serious area. It's called in Hebrew Onat Dvarim, oppression of words, verbal abuse, and even calling someone by a nickname that you know angers or upsets them is considered prohibited according to Jewish law. Now, it would not justify Will Smith's, you know, behavior. Uh, two wrongs don't make a right. Um, but according to Jewish tradition, we are not permitted to say something that we know will upset another person. You can make them laugh. You can make a little fun of them, you know? So I think what you're saying is hundred percent. It's just that like, it's just like, there's no whole, I'm, I'm not, I don't know. I'm not a fan of, of, of people being able to say whatever they want. And the more controversial and upsetting it is to another person's feelings, you know the more you know the more notoriety it gets and i think that's a problem some
1: people go out of their way to be outrageous and they say things that to me are just not funny anyway i'm not a big fan of bathroom humor i don't you know when i used to host shows i would tell young comics please don't do that on my show you know and uh,
0: well that's why i thought i i was i i i'm such a huge fan of seinfeld for that reason. oh he's
1: a word i don't love everything he's great
0: What's no, that? I say he's
1: a wordsmith and always worked clean. He's so clever, you know. I was at his uh, Netflix taping. He happened to do it at the comic strip. It was a big secret, mm-hmm. and he thanked me for keeping it a secret because I've also been a comedy journalist for more than twenty years, and I write about what's going on on the comedy scene. And Jerry got mm-hmm. his start at the comic strip, and when it, and but for for many years he always performs at Gotham Comedy Club because he and the owner. Mm-hmm. Chris Mazzilli are very good friends and they collect cars together and they have a lot of things in common. Mm. But when it came time to do this recent Netflix special, he wanted to do it at the comic strip. And Netflix turned the club into the way it used to look in 1976 because that's... <laughs> Jerry was there from 1976 to 1980 until he went to California. Mm. And he brought his old friends to perform with him and I was there with George Wallace, who's Jerry's best friend. We stood there watching wow. it together and it was <laughs> truly amazing and i kept i kept a secret he thanked me i kept the secret for a couple of months that that he was doing it he didn't want people to know that he was going back to the comic strip and of course it was a sold out event netflix paid him an absolute fortune you know and but he's a g no but
0: i there, he is he is a genius and and i you always point to him as being somebody who um, is able to get you to laugh at ordinary things without hurting anyone, without having to put anyone down, without using a four-letter word every two seconds. And that's unique today, he unfortunately. curse at all. No.
1: And yeah. one night I had to perform and he was in the audience. And I felt bad. I used a couple of words that I wouldn't ordinarily have used. Mm-hmm. And knowing he was there, I felt bad about it afterwards. It was like, <laughs> you know, it was, it, like he... Let me let, I didn't say anything, but it was just, you know, he has those. Let, let
0: me, let me, let me bring you back to the happiness thing. Cause I know a lot of our listeners, we all, we all struggle with happiness. My first book was, I devoted a lot of time to that from a Torah perspective, what makes us happy. And you've touched on these things, believing in a higher power, getting yourself out of yourself, not being focused on your own personal issues and needs all the time. That's why the 12 step programs, which you mentioned before always has the, um, the person getting therapy helping someone who's worse off. Yes. Okay. You always have to help somebody else. That's part of the therapy. What else can you recommend? Um, you know, we, we were coming out of COVID, thankfully. It was a really rough time. A lot of people speak about the rough time that older people had, but not enough people talked about the rough time. A lot of younger people, constituents of MGE, 20s and 30s, single living in their little two-by-four apartments, and can't go see their parents because they don't want to give them anything or their grandparents. And, and Manhattan was not a fun place to live during this time. So a lot of our, our participants, I think I shared this to you with you when I spoke with you briefly after you came to my class that night. What else would you say to someone besides getting themselves out of themselves? Um, and I appreciate it's the good commercial for MGE by saying how, how important God is to being happy. <laughs> Thank you for saying that. And I know you believe that.
1: Yes, We need community. People are social animals. People are not meant to be isolated. And during COVID, there was so much fear. And you know, I, I actually wrote two books during COVID. The second book that I wrote in my happiness series was called Fight the Fear, Overcoming Obstacles That Stand in Your Way. Because I've been battling fear my whole life. It's one of the reasons that I stuttered so badly. And as you can see, I've been given the grace to figure out how not to stutter.
0: Can you tell us, I know I know you're answering the other question, yeah. if they're related, if you can throw they're in, how did you stop? St- good, yeah. good. So tell us also how you stop stuttering and how you help other people do that as well. And it's
1: also related to what you brought up about in Judaism, that you don't say things that would hurt another person, because that's what my heart wounds are about, that we carry these things with us. When people have hurt you in some way. You carry it with you even though you don't want to believe what they said on some level you hold on to that negative thought about yourself Uh, when people break up with each other they say very mean things to each other very often and you hold on to that and it affects your self-esteem and your self-confidence and it affects every decision you make every time you have to make a decision rabbi you use your thoughts to figure out what to do and if your thoughts are not valid your decisions are not going to work out for you, which is why people find that they have the same patterns throughout their life. The same bad job over and over again. Every time they get a job, it doesn't work out every time they're in a relationship. It's like the same thing happens over and over again. It doesn't work out. And the only common denominator is them. They keep reappearing. (laughs) So the idea is Mm -hmm. that in order to change that, you have to change something about yourself, your thoughts. So, I started stuttering when I was about six or seven years old. And I'll tell you, it's an interesting story to me. By the time I got to college, I was only 16 when I was in college. I had skipped a couple of grades. They did that in those days Mm -hmm. if they thought you were smart. So I looked much younger than the other kids, and I was supposedly popular, but I didn't really feel it. And I made myself run for the president of the freshman class of Hunter College. And I told myself if I could win the election, I wouldn't have to stutter anymore because it would show me that people liked me because I think I had a feeling that I was stuttering because I didn't feel good about myself. I didn't feel that people liked me. And I won the election. I couldn't even say my name. I had to have other kids introduce me to kids I didn't know and say, this is Jeffrey Gurian. Please vote for him, whatever. Anyway, I win the election. I'm president of the freshman class and I still stuttered. And it was a great lesson for me because it taught me that in life, outside validation doesn't work. It doesn't matter how many people tell you you're fantastic and wonderful. It matters what you think of yourself. And so Mm. that started my journey on curing myself of stuttering. And I took my mind apart. I realized, and I consider this grace, Rabbi, I really do. I realized one day that I didn't stutter when I was alone. I could go into a room by myself and speak perfectly. I only stuttered when I was trying to talk to somebody else, which told me, you can't have a disability based on your location, right? If a, <laughs> if a man has a limp, limp's in every room of his house. He can't go into a room and close the door and walk perfectly. I
0: love it. I, I love speak be yeah. better
1: when I'm alone. It means there's nothing wrong with me. I created this in my head. So I had to find what thoughts am I holding that are, wow. that, that are creating this thing for me, self-sabotage. Why am I holding myself back from getting the things that I want in my life? And, and I'll be very honest. It's not easy for me to say this, but I had the thought that I would never have the things that other people have. I thought I would never be successful. I would never have a business. I thought I would never get married or have children. I thought I even thought that I would never even have my own apartment. And I don't know what gave me those thoughts. I I, I achieved all those things. I have an amazing family and children and, and even grandchildren. But I doubted myself in so many ways and I had to i had to literally take my mind apart and examine my thoughts and I had to take what must have been an inferiority complex and turn it into what I consider a superiority complex. Not to feel better than other people, just to feel even. I liken it to this. Mm-hmm. If I take this piece of paper and I fold it in half, now it's got a crease in it. If I want to get rid of the mm-hmm. crease. I have to fold it exactly 180 degrees in the other direction.
0: Yeah. You need to go to the other extreme.
1: That's what I did in my mind. And
0: how did you, but what, what shifted? In other words, you said you were, you you said two things, which I found really powerful. Outside validation does not work. It has to be what you think about yourself. And you were only stuttering when you were with other people. When you went into a room and and talked to yourself. Okay. um, You weren't stuttering. So, what what did you do to get yourself to think more of yourself?
1: I I had to convince myself that I was OK, that I was a good person, that people liked me, that I looked OK. I you have to be able to look in the mirror and tell yourself that you love yourself. And that may sound strange to some people, but there are people,
0: it's not there are people who can't no. do
1: that. They can't look at themselves. Right. They hate to look at themselves in the mirror. I had to embrace myself. You know, inside of each one of us is an inner child. Uh, Little Mark Wilds is still inside of you. And he needs hugs every once in a while. Because we grow up and we look older, but that inner child is still inside of you. And something happened to me, and I still don't know what it was, but when I tell people that I work with, you know, as an avocation, I work with stutterers all over the world. And it's because I believe that when God gives you obstacles, if you're lucky enough to overcome them, you're supposed to go out and help other people and teach them what you did so that you can become an inspiration to them. Because I didn't do magic, What I tell people we're all built the same way. If I did it, you can do it as well. If I show you what I did and you and you open your mind to accepting it, then you can get the same results. One of my greatest cases was with a psychotherapist. And I said to him, I'm afraid that your that your intelligence is going to work against you. Because if you start questioning my methods, you're not going to gain progress. And mm-hmm. he said to me, I won't do that. And he never questioned me. And he wound up stopping stuttering. He says he's 95% cured. I have a a video of him on my website. I, I created a special website. During pandemic, also, I figured out how to make a website. I can't believe it. I'm not really a tech guy but it's called it's called stopstutteringnow.com and I'm very grateful to put that out there because people are not telling stutterers that they can get better and in this country alone there are more than 3 million people who stutter and not only are they affected but their families are affected and everybody that they deal sure. with so I'm very grateful to be able to say that again it's gurion.com and there are video testimonials
0: Stop studying stuttering. now.
1: Stop stuttering now. Gurian, G-U-R-I-N, G-U-R-I-A-N okay. dot Got com, mm-hmm. and there are video okay. testimonials on there so that they can actually see people who speak better using these techniques. So, well,
0: one thing I want to I want to jump in. Yeah. You you said something about loving yourself and that you you were a little apologetic about it. You should just know that the central biblical adage that the whole world knows love thy neighbor as thyself, mm. right? The Torah could have just said, love your neighbor, but it says like you do yourself. Mm-hmm. Now it, it implies the Torah is implying that you have some sense of self and admiration for your own self. And we all know that, you know, the people who really struggle, um, with relationships with other people are are struggling with their own sense You're of doing. self it's very hard very hard to love somebody else if you don't have you know but but also the you know going back to our god universe discussion you know what it says right after the verse it says love your neighbor as yourself Hashem, i am god and all the commentaries ask the question why does god have to throw himself in there it's already in the book of leviticus we've we know about God already, and we're we're smack in the middle of the of the Torah in the Bible. And because what aspect of yourself should you come to love? It, it, is it the way we look? Is it how much money we make? I mean, I guess to some degree, we have to we have to love, you know, on a I guess on a, a small level some of those superficialities. But what the rabbis teach it's the ani Hashem, I am God. That's what it says after love thy neighbor as yourself. What aspect of yourself should you come to love? It's the part of you that's godly. It's the part of you that, you know, was created in, 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 in God's image that can really be connected to something greater than ourselves. If we can love that aspect of ourselves, then we could really love anyone if you think about it. Because what separates us often from other people is all the externalities. But if we can get down to what we all really have in common which is our soul that we're all created in god's image and we love that part of ourselves shouldn't be anything stopping us from loving anyone else
1: you know and it's a great concept but it's not easy to do it all these things take work when people sometimes say can you give advice on this i say you know what advice is just words it's just it's just my opinion is just words but it's, it, it takes time to put those words into effect.
0: You know? And what kind of work would you suggest somebody does it, Somebody do, excuse me, if they have serious self-esteem issues, meaning okay. they're stuttering as a result or some other issue that, that.
1: Well, if they're stuttering, I hope that they'll send me an email because I always make myself mm-hmm. available and it's on the site. Mm-hmm. Jeffrey at Jeffrey com is my email. And I, Make myself available, but it's very important to make a good and bad list. This is a, this is a something that I discovered many years ago when I think, I think when I was still back in college and I was working on techniques because I used affirmations. I did a lot of auto hypnosis, auto suggestion to change my thoughts. I would repeat affirmations hundreds and hundreds of times a day. I'm okay. I'm good the way I am. I, I, I no longer need to stutter. Some people don't like to use negatives in affirmations. I don't find anything wrong with it. I I, I realized that I had a subconscious need to stutter. My subconscious mind created the need for me to stutter. And the process is convincing your subconscious mind that that's not valid, that I no longer need to stutter. I don't need to hold myself back. I was a kid in school who made believe I didn't know the answer so the other kids wouldn't feel bad. I didn't want to look smarter than them. So if the teacher asked mm-hmm. me the answer, you know, a question, I would say, I'm sorry, I don't know. I would rather hold myself back. When I was in practice, a patient said to me once, he said, I think you'd rather hurt yourself than hurt me. And I said, yeah, you're right. I said, "I, mm-hmm. me personally, I happen to be an empath. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I feel things very deeply, which is not an easy way to go through life, but you don't have a choice. So if you're listening, Right. You're sensitive, especially if you're a guy. Men don't like to talk about being sensitive. But if the if the world was more sensitive, it would be a kinder place. People would get along better. There's nothing wrong with being sensitive. So I've had to learn to embrace my sensitivity and to use it as a strength and not as a weakness. And I think... And, and would you... And let, me, let, let
0: me just cut you off for a second. Would, is the meditation, whether it's musical meditation or just meditation in general, is that one of the purposes in your mind of meditation, which is to sort of like a mantra repeat over things that you're struggling with. You don't think you're good enough. You don't, let's say, think you're smart enough. You're not, I don't know. You don't
1: look, that could be part of it, but it's to teach your body what it feels like to be relaxed because when you're living with anxiety, which so many people are, especially after the last two years, we're all living with anxiety and we absorb it. We don't realize we're like sponges. We take it in. Your body is very accustomed to knowing what it feels like to feel anxious, but it doesn't remember what it feels like to feel relaxed. So when you Mm -hmm. allow yourself to go into a guided meditation, you're retraining your body. There's a thing called cellular memory, which I find fascinating. Cellular memory means that every single thing that you've experienced since you're born in your senses is still inside of you. It's the reason why you could hear a song you like and it'll remind you of the girl you liked in the third grade and there's no thought about it. it comes back immediately or you smell a perfume and you're like wow my kindergarten teacher wore that perfume it's like a sensory deja vu it brings you back immediately there's no thought involved so all your thoughts are trapped inside of you everything you've ever experienced is still inside of you
0: and the, me- <clears throat> the meditation in your mind teaches can track. help it teaches the body how to relax how to relieve itself of some of the stress that we're experiencing yes. but can it be used towards let's say helping somebody who is stuttering or someone who is um has inner negative beliefs about themselves can it be used to to you know just through it's i guess behavioral it can be
1: used to reprogram your mind i use it on some mm-hmm. people some of the people that i work with are so hyper and so filled with anxiety that I have to reteach them what it feels like to feel calm. So I'll do a guided meditation with them for five to 10 minutes as part of the Mm -hmm. session. And I'll repeat it. It has to be done in a repeatable way. So it's the same room, the same music, the same voice, so that your body gets accustomed to it. When you do something over and over again, you can internalize it. You can't Sure. You can't re-experience something you haven't experienced for the first time, right? You can't redo something. You have sure. to experience it once first in order to be able to do it again and again. And-
0: I mean, it's similar. It's similar a little to you know Jew, the concept of prayer, like when we say, let's say the Shema, which is one of those central Jewish prayers. It's really a declaration mm-hmm. of faith, but it's not just. It's not just saying it we're supposed to sort of think about the letters and the words and the more you say it the more it becomes part of you know language affects us yep. so when we when we say something and we hear ourselves say that thing it impacts us that's i guess the same going back to the 12 step program you know my name is so and so i am a why do you have to start off the meeting everybody knows mm-hmm. you are you wouldn't be at the in the you know you're what, what you are why do you have to hear you yourself to say it, it.
1: You, I, and I call it yeah. verbalization. I'm so glad that you, that you mentioned that because when I work with people who are in pain, like who get what they think are migraine headaches in in this country alone, let me say there's more than 150 million people, million people who think that they're suffering with migraine headaches that are really musculoskeletal headaches that come from clenching and grinding their teeth from stress. The proper oh. term is bruxism and it creates a host of problems. Many people wake up in the morning and their neck hurts. And if you wake up in the morning and your neck hurts, the last person in the world you would think to tell would be your dentist. Why would you ever tell your dentist that your neck hurts, right? It wouldn't occur to you. So a lot of these things go undiagnosed. And people are walking around Mm -hmm. suffering with headaches, severe headaches, and nobody's helping them with it. And so that's one of the other things that I lecture on. When I was teaching at NYU, They saw me taking away headaches, just using the energy from my hands. And if you just walked into a university and told them that you did that, they'd probably call the police. They'd throw you out. (laughs) But they saw me doing. it. You're a quack. You're a a quack. But they they actually saw me doing it. And the, uh, the head of the oral medicine department invited me to lecture to the faculty on that technique. And then the head of the TMJ department, a guy named Michael Gelb, very famous in the TMJ world. Had me do one of my treatments on him, and then he had me lecture to his graduate students, the doctors in TMJ. There's a very real thing about energy between people. We feel it all the time. It's the reason that we that we that we hug each other very often in spiritual circles. Everybody hugs because it makes you feel mm-hmm. centered. It gives you, you know, a sense of calmness. Um, hopefully, we've all experienced it if you've ever been upset. And someone that you cared about and trusted gave you a hug and you felt better about it.
0: Oh, it's transformative. Them, it's transformative. Because you
1: allowed them to transfer positive energy to you. And that's what we do. And you can also do that for strangers.
0: Yeah. You know, the um, Dr. Gurek, you would appreciate the story. I heard this from Neshama Karbach. You've heard of the late and great sure, Shlomo Karbach, sure. I'm sure. The, the great musician. So um, I was once doing a... Um, it's called Eli Talk. It's like a Jewish version of TED mm-hmm. Talk, and um, and I went on, and then when I finished, Neshama Karbach went on, and Neshama I happen to know for many years. It's Shlomo's daughter. She told me the following story: when she was a little girl, her father used to perform in prisons. He used to go and sing in mm-hmm. prisons, and there was one prison where there was one particular inmate who was so dangerous. That they would not have let him to come to anything, and Shlomo Karbach heard about him and said he refuses to perform in this prison unless they they bring him out. And they let him they let him come to his show. So he, they bring him out in chains. These two guards assigned to him sitting there the whole time. And after the show was over, Shlomo was a big hugger. This is why I'm telling you the story. He hugged everybody, okay, and he hugged one by one. All of the inmates and the prisoners were coming over to give him a hug. And there was this huge guy with chains and the two guards on either side. And Shlomo just walked forward, ignored the two guards, gave him a hug. And then when he finished, the guy broke down. And he said, Rabbi, can I get another one? Mm -hmm. So Shlomo gave him a second hug. And he whispered into his ear, he says, if somebody hugged me like that when I was a kid, I probably wouldn't be here now.
1: Yeah, that's a beautiful
0: very, very and, you
1: know, it's so it, it's so powerful. And I was hoping that that was going to be the end of it because I had a feeling. Yeah, that's the power of a hug. Uh, people need those things the way yeah, the way you hug a child when they're upset. That's the power of touch when somebody is in pain and you put your hand on them. Like like I said, I, I've been on the board of the Association for Spirituality and Psychotherapy for 20 years, and they accepted my work. I'm not a classically trained psychotherapist. They're trained not to touch people. I told them I always touch. As a dentist, you're cradling people's head in your hands. You can't get much closer than that. And one of them came over to me and he said to me a few weeks later, I lectured to them and I told them about the power of touch and how important it is. And he said to me, I got to tell you this story. He said, I was working with a woman and she was crying hysterically. He said, and I couldn't help it. I went over and I put my hand on her shoulder. I couldn't. He was like apologizing that he went over his hand on her shoulder. And when she came back the next week, he said she couldn't stop thanking me for doing that simple thing. But I put my hand on her shoulder and it was so comforting to her. And I said, that's the power of touch. And that's why you shouldn't limit yourself to doing that. And when I went to school, they taught us such a wrong thing. They said, never shake hands with a patient. Never make personal contact with a patient. And I was shocked. Because my patients used to hug me, and I thought that that was great. And so, the power of touch is. Not- yeah,
0: listen, we, we unfortunately we live in a very different yes. age where that's just no, you not can't do be acceptable. Yeah,
1: right. You, can't do, you yeah. can't do that with everybody, but-, <laughs> but you can't do that with everyone.
0: But it really does demonstrate. You know, the Talmud also says that when you visit someone who's sick, you remove one sixtieth of their illness. And there's somehow a belief, like you were talking about before, how if you're in better spirits, you can you have a better ability to I, fight your off. Immune um, better. Your immune system is, is, um, is, is in a better position to defend against intruders. So this is very, very important because just getting chizuk, we call it in Hebrew chizuk, just getting strength. You know, it says that in the Torah about giving charity. It doesn't just say give the person what they need financially. The language in the Bible is, in the Hebrew, it says, bo, and you will strengthen him. And, and I always tell this to people, if you don't believe in giving somebody on the street a dollar because you think they're they're going to spend it on a cigarette or drugs or whatever it is, then you could still give them chizuk. You could still look at them and say, hey, have a nice day. I hope I hope you know things get better for you or something positive because a positive word and certainly a hug can go a long way. Um, I, I want to thank you for giving us so much wisdom here and so much inspiration. Um, if you want to just do another little quick plug for all of your amazing books and works and and uh, go for it, because as far as I'm concerned, the more our participants read your stuff and listen to what you have to say, the, the more healing that we're going to all be able thank to see. Thank you so
1: much, Rabbi. It was really so special to be on with you, and, and I appreciate this. There were three books in the Happiness series. The first one is this: Healing Mm -hmm. Your Heart by Changing Your Mind, a spiritual and humorous approach to achieving happiness. The meditating dog on the cover, and you know, dog is God spelled backwards. And then, the second (laughs) book—that's
0: the—that's the the atheist who uh, was dyslexic. (laughs) You know, that's the old joke.
1: The second book in the Happiness series was called Fight the Fear: Overcoming Obstacles That Stand in Your Way, which is one.
0: That's the one that's the one you wrote from your hospital well, bed. That, that uh,
1: that's the second one that I wrote from my hospital. I wrote two books, <laughs> two books while I was recovering, oh, wow. but fight the fear has all the things that I had to fight uh, throughout my life. The stuttering thing, the heart attack, the COVID double pneumonia. I had fears of traveling. So I made myself go to Japan all alone in 2019 because it was the scariest thing I could think of to do because I challenged myself on a daily basis to do whatever makes me uncomfortable things that other people can seem to do comfortably. I need to do them also. And the last book, my most recent book is called uh, facing adversity stories of courage and inspiration. They're all available on Amazon. This one, just came out. These first two were bestsellers on Amazon and people from the reviews that I get, people say that they help them a lot to learn how to think differently and to achieve happiness. So I'm very grateful to have been able to be on with you today, Rabbi. There's no, accident. Mm-hmm.
0: Really there's a no pleasure. accident
1: that we met, and I thank you.
0: Now, there's no accident. I really appreciate you coming, and I'd love for you to come back sometime in person and talk to our community. Um, you've got a lot of life wisdom and spiritual healing wisdom to share. God should continue to bless you, to share your gifts, and to help really just the amazing work that you're doing and uh, I thank you for coming on it's really thank been an honor thank you so honor. much
1: and I would love to come and speak anytime you want I'm speaking at a temple tonight as awesome a matter of fact. <laughs> awesome you. all right have Let's a wonderful day